Now broadcasting from Suitland, Maryland, USA, Abiding Truth with Dr. McCune, an outreach of Suitland Road Baptist Church. Please visit us at www.srbcoutreach.org. And now, here's our pastor, Dr. Calvin M. McCune. Today we'll be in James chapter 5, and we'll begin at verses 13. I would be emphasizing the life of prayer, living a life of prayer. We're not just praying to live, we are living to pray. God wants us to be in fellowship with him. He has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. When we put our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit, among other things, he bears witness inside of us that we belong to God. And then the Holy Spirit, he teaches us how to pray. Let's ask God to bless us. Father, In the name of Jesus, we come before you. Thank you for inviting us into your throne, into your presence in the name of Jesus. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you will speak into our hearts your truth, your word. Thank you. All that you desire for us to receive today, dear God, help us to receive it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. James chapter 5, and we'll begin from verses 13. James chapter 5 and verses 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. God wants us to be praying for those who are ill. We have to be attuned to the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. And the first response when we're dealing with illness is to pray. And suffering, of course, is painful. But even so, we thank God, whatever we are going through, at that moment that we can call upon God in the name of Jesus. Whatever it is. And I'm going to speak about this suffering from all different aspects. Whether it is persecution, We don't experience that type of persecution here in this part of the world, but I'm in contact with pastors and believers from mainly pastors, other countries, and they're under persecution. The suffering of the church, the suffering church indeed. And I believe this is what James is talking about. 
God, the Holy Spirit, will lead us how to pray. And we have a responsibility to pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering for the gospel. We have a responsibility to be informed and to fervently stand in the gap, to put aside time to intercede for them. Every Sunday morning here in our church, before I come to the pulpit, we pray for the suffering church. Every Sunday morning, before, before I bring God's word, how can I stand and be thankful that God has blessed me to pastor a church here in the United States and at the same time be, in, be not sensitive to fellow pastors and saints around the world that are suffering? So every Sunday, we ask God, the Holy Spirit, to bring deliverance. We pray God's grace for those who are suffering. And then sometimes this suffering can be physical to us. It can be some physical illness, some emotional illness, some psychological illness. We have to ask God to help us. Sometimes it may be different traumas and circumstances we face in life. Our first response has to be, Lord Jesus or Holy Spirit, help me. It has to be, Lord, Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. Before we even try to think of how do I resolve this, we should come before the Lord. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. And praise God. God gives us, he, he, he gives us cheerful moments. And he allows us, by his grace, to go through suffering. That's why he says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And this has been, it has been, this church is blessed with that spirit of love and concern. And people come into this church here at Suitland over the years that I've been here, and I've been here for more than 30 years, as you know, as your pastor. But two years prior to that, and when my wife and I first stepped in those doors, there was such a spirit of love and care for the first time. And all of you experienced that. Some of you have been here with me from the beginning. Many have come on after and you testify of that. Matter of fact, this morning, one of our visitors says, thank you for welcoming me. And she said, yes, she felt that spirit of love. Amen. Amen. So yes, we take time when we thank God, we can sing psalms and worship the Lord and thank God that this was part of the experience from the early church. There is something about singing and praising God that blesses the soul. I got up this morning and I prayed, commit the day in the hands of the Lord, pray for my family, commit my life to the Lord. And then I like my Sunday going back into the 70s and listening to the Maranatha praise songs. So I listen to those Maranatha music praise songs. And it, it blesses my heart because the focus is so much 
on worshiping God for who he is and what he has done. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. So here is a, it's more specific. The first suffering, of course, as I mentioned, is talking about the general persecution that's coming against the church, that ill treatment. But here it is speaking about sickness. It's your responsibility to call for the elders. That's what we do. That's what God expects you to do. When you get sick, the first person should know about it should be the leaders of the church. You call them and you say, pray for me. They should not be the last. They should not be after three days of sickness and someone hears. That's the wrong way. You call in the elders. That sickness, whether it is of the natural or whether it is spiritual warfare, this is what God wants to happen. So there is here certainly a sense of submissiveness. God moves in that spirit. He brings deliverance. And he says, let them pray over you and anoint him with oil in the name of Jesus as we do here at our church where we anoint with oil and we pray for healing. And we do experience healing. Why do we do it? We do it because God commands us to do it. The doctors have their role. Don't be condemning and criticizing doctors. They have their role. We still have to take medicines. We still have to do what we are responsible in doing concerning our life and our rest and the way we deal with situations and our diet and our exercise and all those things. But we call upon the elders and there is something with oil. That there is an anointing Holy Spirit work from the very beginning of God working after the fall of man and God leading his people to experience healing and the anointing of oil. And praying in the name of Jesus. And indeed, what a glorious invitation that we can come before the Lord. And I have seen over these many years, I've seen folks in hospitals. I remember one man going to see him. This was probably more than 25 years ago. And the doctor says he was on his last. Matter of fact, his wife told me we'd like you to speak at his homegoing service. I administered to him a few days before his surgery to make sure he is saved. And he says, yes, indeed. And I know he had accepted Christ as his Savior. <coughs> and here in ICU, one of, went there with one of our leaders, and we said, let's take God at his word. I said to him, let's simply do this. Yes, I just told his wife I'll be willing to speak at his homegoing service, but let us take God. And I quoted this scripture with the brother with me, and he simply said, yes, let's do this. And we laid hands and prayed for the man. And then the man came to our church for two years after that. And he walked forward and shared his testimony. God is God.
And the prayer of faith will save the sick. When there is sickness, diseases, illnesses, we have to trust the Holy Spirit to do his work. Sometimes God will use us to pray for others and he will heal them and we ourselves might be going through some physical condition. And we should not think, why is God not healing me if he used me to pray for that person and the Holy Ghost heal that person? God is God. And we have to trust him. But when we pray, we have to pray in faith, believing. We have to pray in the name of Jesus. We have to pray to God, our Father. And that prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord is able to raise him up. And if he has committed any sin, he will be forgiven. And sometimes, I want to mention here, not all sicknesses are because of sin, but clearly it's in Scripture that there are Some illnesses can be because of the consequences of sin. And while it's not for us, sometimes we're aware of it. And it's not for us to judge. And we should never go around and tell folks, the reason why you're sick is because there is some sin in your life. No, we shouldn't do that. But in light of spiritual warfare, the devil loves to keep God's children in bondage. And so it makes sense as a pastor, that I will ask people, someone that I'm praying for, is there anything in your life that you know you need to get right with God? Then I will point out to them, let's solve that problem. Jesus, he's inviting you to come to him. He says, if you confess your sins, you're faithful and just. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I've seen over these many years in the pastorate those who confess their sins, and yes, they experience healing. Each situation would vary, but wisdom tells us we have to hear God's truth and respond to each situation based on the word of God. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is something when we enjoy that sweet fellowship of being there to strengthen one another. That we're able to come before others and say, here is an area of struggle in my life. And to know that when we ask another brother or sister to pray for us, that they will not take that and go around and gossip. That we know that there is genuine love and care within the church. If we can stand up and say, please pray for me. I'm struggling in this area. The Holy Spirit allows us to come to that place of growth and maturity where this can happen. And I believe that within this confessing our sins, it certainly is unchallenging us that when we confess our sins and we say to someone here, I have this area I'm struggling with, that because of that, that person has authority to forgive us. By no means. Only God can confess, can forgive sin. 
But what it does mean is this. There is victory when we say to someone, can you please pray for me in this area? The devil is defeated. Because for one thing, it displays a spirit of humility. Then it lets us, the person, we ourselves are reminded and the others that we are depending on each other. And that person or others might be willing to stand in the gap for us and to intercede on our behalf. And then there is a trust aspect within the assembly that we genuinely love each other and care for each other. Many a times, God's children go for years with holding on to bondages in their lives. Because of not wanting to admit these things. God is able to bless us and help us. And pray for one another that you may be healed. You see what happens here? That's what the church life and the church body is all about. Can we in this age, in this time, 2019, can a church be mature where this can happen? Certainly. The Holy Spirit is at work. And if perchance someone takes that the wrong way because they're immature, then it's an opportunity to correct that person and say, no, don't do that. God does not want you to do that. And to help them through that. But this is what the Holy Spirit, this is what he does. Why, saints, if we can't confess our sins and our weaknesses, our struggle among each other and have that confidence that we'll pray for each other, then where can that happen? certainly will not happen in the world. So it's okay. A mature church is where we're able to come before God and say, God, help me. This morning, I myself asked Deacon McNeil to stand and to pray that God continues to strengthen my love for his word. Let's look at this. This is that, that you may be healed. Many a times, illnesses, diseases, sicknesses is because of the heart not being open for God to do his work. And there is something when we ask others to pray for us, it becomes a blessing to them. Verses 16 says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Keep in mind where we started with this. It's the Holy Spirit. He is in us. He is guiding us. He is leading us. Let's first place emphasis here on the righteous man. We have to always examine our lives and confess our sins and ask God to forgive us and thank him for his forgiveness. And then let's place emphasis on the, the idea of fervent. What does it mean to be fervent in prayer? We continue to pray. We don't give up. Not because something is taking long to answer a week, a month, a year. We keep prevailing in prayer. 
We ask the Holy Spirit, don't quit. Trust God. God is working it out, and he's working it out at his time. And yes, sometimes when we pray, the Lord answer may be no. The Lord answer may be wait, and that's a difficult one. Or his answer may be yes, and if we are accustomed to just wanting yes, then that's not the right way. We have to trust God. That with every situation, God is working it out. Must remind everyone of the story of the particle son. So his son took everything, grew up with his parents, understood what life is in serving Yahweh, but then he left and he went on his own, turned his back from God, turned away from God, went on his own. He is partying and he is drinking, but God is working things out. And his father is praying. And God works out the circumstances to bring him to the end of himself. Comes back to the father and he says, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against heaven. And I've sinned against you. And the father says, my son who was once dead is now alive. Let God work it out in his time. We may not understand all of how and the ways of God and how, what God is doing, but fervent prayer says that the God, our Lord Jesus, and God Almighty who made us, He is sovereignly in control. And when we're praying for a child of God especially, we're praying on the basis that God, you who have started that work in that person, you're bringing it to pass. And who is the best way? Who is the best person that knows the best way? And the best method, that is, to get that person back to be looking at God, only God. So in fervent prayer, we have our eyes fixed on the Lord. And it's that heartfelt prayer, that continued prayer prevailing all the time, not discouraged, And what did God promise here? He says, it will avail much. It's going to produce. There's power in such a prayer. Because that's a Holy Spirit-led prayer. Oh, believers, if we can just understand how God moves through prayers. I'm reminding pastors all the time that these many years, this is what God has taught me, that all ministry begins with and, con- and functions on a prayer life yeah. or prayer life as pastors, as leaders. And then God will give us an example. Verses 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. In 2019, can we pray? Will the Holy Ghost lead us to pray as Elijah? Yes. That's what God is saying. 
So what God is telling us, that Elijah was that righteous man. Elijah had that fervent prayer. Elijah had his eyes fixed on God and not on himself or the circumstance. So the same thing for us today. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And a matter of fact, we are at a position of advantage because we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us bearing witness that we belong to God and the Holy Spirit teaching us how to pray. We have something even that Elijah did not have. Elijah was not sealed with the Holy Spirit. God's servant says, Lord, don't let your spirit depart from me. Today, the Bible says that at the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you hear that gospel message, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that sealing is permanent. Guarantees our entrance into heaven. Our bodies itself becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that could not come at the time of Elijah because the scripture says, or Lord Jesus says, it is expedient that I go. If I don't go, the comforter cannot come. It took God stepping in humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, and resurrection, his ascension for the Holy Spirit to come. And he's inside of us. And he is teaching us how to pray. When we pray, we learn from this. You can imagine Elijah, a man praying, God, let it not rain. When we pray, we must not limit our prayer based on what we think is possible. For with God, nothing is impossible. When we pray, we let the Spirit lead us. The greater the challenge, the more we ask God to guide us and lead us to pray. The greater the storm, thank you, Jesus, or Holy Spirit, lead me and teach me how to pray. And he will give us faith. He will strengthen us. When we pray, our prayer is not selfish at all. We pray consistently with the word of God, and we are praying for God's will to be done. And watch and see what the Lord will do. Verse 19 says, brethren, he's addressing believers here. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turn him, turns him back, how can we turn that person back? A child of God wanders away from the truth. Our first response has to be to pray for that person. It is never that we should try to analyze a situation, judge the person, compare ourselves with the person, put demands on the person. But, oh, dear God of grace and mercy, Lord Jesus, you who have started that work in that person, bring it to pass, Lord. 
And use me, God, to be your vessel to intercede for that person. And watch and see what God will do. The devil may have established some bondage in that person's life. God is able to break it. And we, for most part, don't understand all of it, but we intercede for each other. The idea of intercessory is this. Where the person who is struggling could not pray for themselves because they are weak at that moment, someone else is standing in the gap. Like our Lord Jesus in heaven, he's our eternal high priest, and he ever liveth to intercede for us. Thank God for that. Otherwise, none of us would make it. And so too, when you see your brother or sister struggling, oh dear God, first we pray, strengthen our love for that person. And then, oh Holy Spirit, lead me to pray. You pray and God will do that. And watch and see, you don't know what God has for that person. Deliverance can only come through such praying. God is able to bring that person back. The Holy Spirit will do that. God is able to correct that child of God. And yes, God may use us to advise, to encourage, to lift up. God will use us. We have to be willing to labor also to go and meet the person. Encourage them to come back to church. To say, I'll come and get you. I want to come and take you out for dinner. I want to come and sit with you. What is happening in your soul? We have to be willing to labor and care for that person. And God will bless us along with the prayer. Such prayer necessitates action and a willingness to serve that person. God wants us to be servants all the time. No wonder the Bible says, O Lord Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. No wonder God says in his word, that let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not cling to his right to be God, but he humbled himself even to the point of death, the death on the cross. Why? For us. And so we have to be willing, Lord Jesus, whatever it takes, Holy Spirit, use me, God. There is no selfish motive, we know, because that person belongs to Jesus. And I must say this. Don't ever give in to Satan lies. That child of God is wondering because the devil has placed some lie on their hearts and their minds. Don't ever give in to some lie of the devil. The truth is that it is God's will for that person to be delivered, to come to a place of repentance, to come to a place of restoration. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. First, I want to apply this for the sense here within the context of when we pray for others. Beyond that situation, God is using us 
to pray for that person so that they can experience deliverance, so that they will experience victory over the attack of Satan in their lives. They will confess their sins and come to God. And then, let us look at this from the general sense of people who are in the world, people who need to come to Christ, People who need to experience God's forgiveness to know that Jesus loves them and he died for them. It is God's will for everyone to be saved. When Jesus atoned, he atoned for everyone. Yes, the scripture makes it very clear, even Jesus himself, that his atonement was not limited. It was not for a few. For God so loved the world that he gave his son for the whole world. Jesus did not lie. That's some of the world, the whole world. And, and yet we read in the Bible that there are those whom God chose, God chosen, God, God has chosen and God hardens, and we don't understand all those things. God is transcendent. He is outside of our reason. We cannot comprehend him. But when we come in contact with someone, as we go out, when we go out in the streets and the neighborhood and we evangelize, when you look at someone, and that person might be on the street, and that person may be sleeping there, we don't know their history. We don't know what led them in that place. But this we know. Jesus died for them. When we look at that person, we have to come to this conclusion. If that was the only person that Christ would come and die for, if that was the only human on earth, Jesus would still come and die for that person. And we have to understand it is God's will for that person to be born again. And then we have to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. This is why all these years when we go out and evangelize, we have no judgments whatsoever. We go with a message of love. That soul can be rescued from hell. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Only Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through him. That's the gospel message. It's not to be tainted. It's not to be adjusted. It's just to be preached and proclaimed to a world in its simplicity and let God do his work. In conclusion, this message Behind all of this, can we understand that there's a spirit of love? And that's what life is all about, isn't it? Oh, saints, this year, praise God. I'm celebrating by the grace of God 50 years of walking with the Lord. As I know you celebrated with me last year, 30 years of being your pastor, which I'm so thankful but all of it has to do with Christ using us as his vessels. 
Jesus using us to love people. The love of Christ inside of us towards people. That's what it is. And we go out and we proclaim that gospel message. And as we preach a gospel message, here's what happens. Signs and wonders and miracles follow. Amen. All over the world, the many countries that you know have been, I've seen God. Oh, the Holy Ghost, when we proclaim the message, God anoints our hands. We're able to lay hands in the name of Jesus. Yeah. I've seen unbelievers many a time come to Jesus. I remember in this one, one village in Guyana, South America, the pastor said to me, he says, well, when you go in that particular place, uh, you share the gospel. When people hear the gospel, they may not be willing to publicly come forward. Perhaps because of the community peer pressure or other dynamics. It was late at night and I shared a gospel message and ministered what God put on my heart. And across the street, I heard the drums beating. I said, what is that about? He says, well, someone died, and that's just the way the Hindu people, that is what is happening. They're having a wake. The message went forth, the gospel message. The people are not responding. I'm praying, oh, dear God, oh, Holy Spirit, Father, your message went forth. Move, dear God. Sister Tina is with me, and God has anointed her voice. And I said, Tina, you come and sing and praise and worship. And she did. Might have been a year that you may have even been with us, Dosha, on that trip. And then she began to, with a few saints that are there, and began to worship the Lord Jesus. That's that psalms and praise. The gospel went forth. So this lady, she came to where we were with a little a child, about four years old, and she brought him forward and she said, my child has a fever. My child is sick. The Holy Ghost ministered in my spirit, just lay hands and pray, I'm going to heal this child. In the name of Jesus, I laid hands on the child, and as I prayed, God delivered this child and healed the child of whatever caused that fever at that moment. The lady got so excited, she grabbed her child. I thought, Lord, surely after this, she will want to hear what I am preaching about. She grabbed her child, and she ran back to the place. A few minutes after, I heard the drum stop. And then I began to see all the people in that village just coming forward. Because they all knew that her child was ill. And we saw so many came forward and just fell on their knees because God is doing his work. It's not us, the Holy Spirit, to let God do his work. People that have illnesses, diseases, but they need to be born again. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. For those who are listening, we want to pray with you. We'd like to invite you 
to join us as we pray with you. Salvation prayer. We encourage you to believe and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You may not understand all of this, but what you do understand this morning is this truth that I'm saying to you from God's word, that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And so we'd like to pray with you at this very moment. Since let's pray, Lord Jesus, Thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Lord Jesus, by faith, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Christ, the Son of God. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. I call upon you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, I pray believing. Amen. Bless the Lord. Oh